Welcome to the Working Dog Depot podcast with your hosts, Rich Harden and Howard Young. Good afternoon, Mr. Young. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. How about you, buddy? Doing good. Doing good. Just finishing up a long day at the the shop, uh, rewriting a bunch of content for the website and different training programs. So it's been a a day in front of the computer, which is never fun. Oh, man. I had a pretty productive day myself. I I worked out today and I've been working out pretty hard trying to get back at it. Yeah. Seen you in the suit. So absolutely. Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, back must be feeling much better. Well, every morning it hurts when I get up, but I just know that at some point during the day, it's it's no longer going to hurt. And I just, I was told by a friend of ours that motion is lotion. That's, just keep that's, on that's moving. I have a chiropractor that says exactly the same thing. <laughs> Forward momentum is always your friend. <laughs> so rather than sitting around stewing about why things hurt, just get up and start moving around. Oh, very cool. Well, tonight I think, you know, there's a, I know we talked about a, a couple of questions that that some people have asked about. And the biggest topic for this evening is obedience uh, in your dog. And I think uh, it's a topic that can, we can go down a huge rabbit hole or, you know, we can just hit the highlights. Uh, it's going to be, uh, it's really up to you. What, what do you, how, how would you like to, uh, to begin with obedience? I think what we ought to do is talk a little bit about uh, the difference between manners in your dog and teaching obedience. I think that people tend to conflate the two and there really is a difference because it is possible to have a very, very well-trained dog in terms of its performance of obedience tasks, but not be very mannerly, mannerly at all. Oh, well, I think you're exactly right. You know, teaching, you know, I, I I guess depending on the circumstance of, you know, you're, if we were talking police dogs, you know, the living circumstances, are you living with that dog? Uh, Do you, you know, do you like Philadelphia, are those dogs living in a nice kennel up there and not living in homes? You know, things diff- differ. But, you know, for me, it's always been the difference is I want my dog to be mannered first and foremost. So if I had the leash in my hand, there are some rules in play. You know, there's no pulling, no jumping. There's a lot of asking, are we going to do this first, looking to me for stuff before the dog can act. You know, a lot of times uh, our, our high drive working dogs learn to self-satisfy. In other words, go and chase something. Something moves over here. I'm going to chase the car, chase the kid on the skateboard or the bicycle. You know, and obviously those, those things we can't have as a, as a working animal. So I think manners, first and foremost, is way more important than obedience. Right. But, you know, it's funny because I, I think that we have had police dogs and we probably have some now. If we're speaking specifically about police dogs that are very good at ob- obedience tasks, but they're not very mannerly at all <laughs> because there's no, there's not really been any expectation that they be that way. Sure. And I mean, what I mean by that is that, you know, in a training environment, they're very controlled, but if they were to bring that animal into their home, that expectation hasn't been set. You know, and I realize that there are some handlers out there that their dogs do live in their homes, but traditionally the dogs that I've worked with, the dog is typically out in a kennel, and doesn't really interact with uh, family members that much. In some instances, it's not; it wouldn't be prudent at all. In others, it could certainly be that way. So I think in general, most of my guys have kind of 
the kennel has been the place for the dog to have some solitude and not have any demands on him, any work, and uh, it's worked out pretty well. I, I would agree with that. That's a if you can have that structure, you know, because everything is about structure with our dogs, right? So right. the dog has a living condition, whether it's a kennel or a crate, whatever you're using, and then the dog comes out of that kennel and does something, right? Whether you're giving a dog a break, even that has to have some sort of structure, though, and the dog needs to be mannered in some sense. You know, if I'm standing with my dog, do I always need to have my dog on a command, or should there be an expectation that he holds a loose leash unless I ask them to do something for me? Right. I really like I really like that. And uh, without going into immediately going into how you have evolved and I know that I have evolved in terms of teaching those specific commands. One of my pet peeves has always been that uh, once the dog has learned a heel command, I think there is a tendency for handlers to want to give that heel command if they're just going from point A to point B where they don't really have, and the reason why it's a kind of a pet peeve of mine is that if you're going to give the dog a heel command, you have to maintain, you expect the dog to maintain that command. Guys aren't doing that. They're saying heel just because they're, they're leaving. Right. So, so I'm you always know, stressing the, them. You, you can't. Absolutely. So the first, the first thing should be is, you know, what is the definition of a heel? You know, every obedience command should mean something specific. Right. You know, and that dog holds that behavior until it's released, right? Whether you have to give it a mm-hmm. state command or, you know, a lot of stuff that I do, I like to, once my dogs are, are finished and we can go over what is, you know, what's a trained dog look like? There's a, there should be a definition of what is a trained dog. You know, training never stops, but what, what is that trained dog look like? What's that finished product look like? And what's that expectation for me? So it's, it's not fair to say heal and then let the dog be loose if it's supposed to be some sort of focused heel. You know, we all see these cool obedience healing commands that some of these places do that look great. And that that is a, a wonderful thing to have. But most people aren't doing that specific, not, not holding that dog to that specific criteria. Right. So what I've tried to stress to them is that they don't have to give a heel command if they're going from point A to point B, there's just a couple general rules, and that is that the dog can't forge ahead of you, and he can't lag, and he can't cross your center line. Of course, if he's forging, not forging ahead of you, he can't do any of those things. Right. He's just walking on a loose leash beside you, and you don't even have to open your mouth. If he's not under any kind of obedience command and he's basically free, and you're just moving out, he doesn't. He, there are ex- you can give corrections for for getting out of sorts and getting out of the way, right? You, you, well, that, that for me that always brings up the, the the I see a lot of people that will have a dog in a a, a I'm using air quotes for those that can't see me in a free position, which is the dog is at your side on a loose leash, and the expectation is you know they can't bark excessively, they can't forge, they can't cross the center line, but they can sit or lay down or chill with you. Right. So there, it's a mannering behavior versus a focused heel where the dog's at a nice sit looking up at you and then we move and the dog has got his prance and look at that. That's a focused heel. So I think those those two uh, get convoluted a lot. And then yeah. the, the, the person handling the dog will move with the dog and say heel, but then they're not moving with any type of expectation. No, no they're nor just, do they have any expectations on the dog. So. They're just kind of lounging around, and so the dog mimics what they're doing, like, hey, well, we're, we're really not doing this. 
you don't you're not providing me any energy like it's been taught to me to do. And and they miss that that whole moment to say, hey, this is what this means at this time versus this is what this means when we're just hanging out. And you can have both of them. I mean, it's it's very easy to do. It's not all that complicated, but I think it's defining what those things are for you and then holding holding the line, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, making it mean what you say it means. Because if you don't, then we all know that if you don't make it, if you don't make sit mean sit, well, then the dog's not going to sit anymore over time. Right. He'll be standing, laying down or licking his balls. That's that's what they do. <laughs> So I know for me, my early instruction was was very much the Keeler method. If I'm going to teach the, a behavior like sit, I'm going to pull up on the leash with one hand. I'm going to push down with my other hand on the butt. And right. when the butt hit the ground, they're verbal praise. And, right. uh, and release and it, pressure. Yeah. And it's not to say, and I'm not, I don't want to say anything negative or positive. I mean, I will say something positive about it because it certainly works. But there are there are definitely more ways to do it. And I I will say that I probably had one way that I did it, and it was that way. Right, right. Well, you know, I think we go back to and, and anyone that's come to any of our classes or any any place that's talked with us for any length of time, I always go over the four phases of learning in dogs. Right. You know, acquisition being the first one is we're teaching our dogs to acquire a skill. Uh, and then it should be the methodology that you use that mm-hmm. you're talking about. You know, what methodology are you used to teaching acquisition? Is it fair to punish a dog or use some sort of compulsion for something a dog doesn't understand? Mm-hmm. Does that damage the relationship over time? Uh, or, you know, can some dogs take it and some dogs don't? I think that's what causes problems in the, especially the detection world. When we were at the, uh, in Pittsburgh at the Hold the Line conference, had several officers come up to me after our, our, our uh, talks and they would say, well, you know, my dog, as a single to purpose dog and I, I can't put obedience on him. Like what? <laughs> well, right. first and foremost, you know, you're the police and how are you, if your dog's dragging down the street, how can you shoot? How can you move? You know, you just, it was the option to just let the dog go because they're pulling you in, into something, you know, does it diminish drive? Well, and I, I think that's where the, where people get confused is yes. If you beat your dog into submission, it's going to affect his drive. Right. But teaching your dog obedience the correct way, mm-hmm. you know, showing them what these behaviors mean and rewarding them for that doesn't diminish drive at all. Matter of fact, it actually focuses the drive and gets them ready to work even more, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I do believe that's And for folks that are wondering why someone would where that came from, I think that that was really the understanding is that obedience would somehow inhibit the dog's desire to hunt, possibly because the dog may become so concerned about the the imminent correction that might be coming from the handler that the dog loses sight of what it's really supposed to do, which is to hunt. Yes. So it's, it becomes very obedience-minded. And that was always the fear. Uh, but, uh, of course, we've there have been thousands upon thousands of dogs and trainers that have proven that that's not really the case. Well, it's not the case at all. If you teach it properly. That's right. That's if you're not using a two before to teach obedience. Yeah. If you're having to be that heavy handed, you're missing the boat completely. That's right. So in terms of teaching some of these behaviors, I know in the beginning I've, and I've joked about it is that basically a lot of what we did, if we could make a dog do it, we, we made him, (laughs) (laughs) but we tried to be upbeat about it at at the same time. So, uh, and, and the, 
you know, not to knock Keeler's method, I think that it's very effective. And and the part, and I know it's in the books that I know that he stressed to praise your dog twice as much as you correct it. And yeah. I think that was his his way of saying that this can be a little. I don't want to maybe even use the word debilitating to a dog, but it could potentially crush their spirit if that's all you do is hammer. Sure. Oh, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's, you know, the learning curve that, that needs to take place is that, you know, people take bits and pieces of, you know, of Kohler's books or, you know, or Karen Pryor's book, you know, which is a great book. Don't shoot the dog. If you haven't read that book, I mm-hmm. highly recommend you read that book. It's a great book on marker training, training with markers. But, you know, you, you, I can't put myself in either one of those camps. Right. I think that you have to train the dog in front of you. I think you have to teach the dog the best way the dog understands. Mm-hmm. Because the dog tells us what a reward is. Mm-hmm. The dog tells us what punishment is. You know, sometimes it's withholding. Sometimes it may be a physical correction. But they tell us what is meaningful to them. And then right. finding, you know, we always joke, or I don't really joke about it, but we, everywhere we've ever gone, we always say, Let's, we're working the dog in front of us. Don't, don't put yourself in a box. Is it good for this dog? Right. Because you know, when we talk about context, I think that's where social media uh, and we've, we've discussed this several times that Instagram and Facebook, when you put something out there, you know, you're missing the context. You know, when someone sends me a video and goes, what do you think about this? I don't know. Sometimes maybe that's the best rep they got today. <laughs> so right. I don't know where it, where it started and where it ended. You know, so I have my opinion sometimes, like I'll look at it and go, eh, I probably wouldn't do that. But, you know, I don't maybe that's the best rep they got today. And so I really can't have if I don't have context, I really can't have an opinion about it. Well, sometimes we situation we see situations with the dog where we've seen the final well, the final product is as final as you know you you could possibly be. And we don't know what the process was to get there. So it's kind of hard to knock the process when the when the final product looks pretty darn good. It is. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. You know, because there's there's a million ways to skin the cat. Mm-hmm. So you know, what methodologies that you pick, what is used to, I think a lot of people get in trouble, especially today, they'll try something a couple of times and don't, and they don't give it time to work because they get in a hurry. And so they, they choose something else off the internet or from another trainer or for another opinion. And, and they keep switching up and pretty soon the dog has no idea what the expectation is anymore. Right. You know, I had a, a, a guy came with a dog and a nice Malinois, nice Malinois. And he was calling the dog to him to hear. And the first couple of times the dog came and sat in front of him, which is not a big deal, right? That's, that's a good hear. And he rewarded him. And then a couple of times the dog came and he corrected the dog for not coming to his side and not sitting. Right. And so I asked him, I said, Hey, you know, I'm not, not getting in, in your business here, but what's the expectation? And he said, well, you know, he was trained to do both. And I said, well, well in his mind, then why is he in trouble with that? If he's trained to do both, and there's no expectation to the command, then he can just do both. Just because you decide now that he, you want him to sit on your side, the dog shouldn't get in trouble for that. Right. You know, you got to make the behavior mean something very specific. So that's why we always say, hey, it's black or white. If it's here, it's come and sit by my side, then it's always come and sit by my side. Right. If it's heel, then it's that focused heel. Dog's looking at me, and we're going from point A to point B with purpose. If it's yeah. free, then it's a loose leash walk with mannering behaviors. Right. And you, and you have to set that expectation because if you don't, you're really not fair to the dog and you're 
And then that leaves it open to the dog's interpretation of what they're going to do at the time. And so why do they have to come back now? You know, if you've made these things mean different things, if I say here, well, can he lay down? Or if I say sit, can he lay down? I say a lot of people allow that. Well, that's not what you said. So you got to make it mean what you mean, what you say it means. And you have to make sure the dog holds that standard. And there should always be a release command for that as well, right? So how does my dog break behavior when I when I tell them free or break or okay, what you know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what the word is, but the dog has to be given a command, expectation of holding that behavior, and then release from that behavior. Right. Interesting. I, I want to come back to the focused heel and talk about that. And first, we'll we'll describe it. But I wanted to talk about a situation that came up last night. It was a, it was a, one of those learning moments, teachable moments. I was in the bite suit and the objective was we were going to send the dog in for a bite. And I wanted, wanted, this was off lead. I wanted him to out the dog and then call the dog back to heel. So uh, he sends the dog in, dog makes a really nice bite. I'm working him a little bit and he gives the out command, which for us is a tone stem. Dog outs beautifully and kind of halfway goes back to the handler, but he's not really wanting to go back. He's looking at me. He's kind of caught in no man's land. Right. And I said, don't correct him. Give him a down command and then come pick him up. And then what I wanted to, to explain to him is that he offered us a absolutely beautiful out. He didn't understand completely the idea of coming back to you. We could say that he just blew that off, but I don't think that was the case. He was caught between something that he really, really wanted, and we didn't have a leash on him, so we couldn't provide any direction. So the e-collar provides zero direction in that in that instance. You could say we could have just kept correcting him, but I didn't want to keep correcting the dog. I felt like he did that perfectly. So if we want to go back and do that again, we would we would attach a leash to him. And if he gets caught in no man's land, we can apply a little pressure to encourage him back to the to the handler. Well, you know, another thing you can do too, if and especially when you're when you're off leash, and it, well, and you know, before you go off leash with that stuff, you you have to have the reps, right? The, to say the dog has been successful. So mm-hmm. there's a a technique for what we call providing contrast. So the dog outs, gets caught in no man's land, mm-hmm. then you begin to move away from the dog and create some mm-hmm. energy. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'll pull the dog to you because mm-hmm. right? there's a, there's two terms. It's called active or passive stressors. Mm-hmm. You know, if my dog needs energy. Then I have to provide energy to pull the dog to me to get them over things. Right. Easiest way to look at that is say, you know, uh, you get a new puppy and the puppy's all excited. Well, if, and if I walk in the door and the puppy, I, I say, oh, there's my buddy. And I get all excited. Then my puppy pees on the floor because he gets overly excited. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, no, in those moments, you can't provide any energy, you need to be calm, walk to the door, open it up, go outside, let the dog do their business. Then when the dog comes back and it's much calmer, then give the dog that attention, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the same way. You have to you have to see where your dog is and you have to give or take energy based on what your dog has given you. Right. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that would have been helpful. It's a, where were you, right? Well, you know, you just I'm phone call away. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah. I think the handler was just kind of awestruck that the dog did it all off lead. And, sure. uh, I certainly didn't have the presence of mind to give him any more than what I had already given him. 
Well, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you're teaching the owl off of bite suit with the leash and you have, they come back to the tug toy. Mm-hmm. You're, you're moving away from the problem with the toy. So you're providing that stimulus. Mm-hmm. So it's the same. You're just providing energy to, to pull the dog towards you. Right. They say, hey, good job, man. I'm, it's, you're, I'm incentivizing coming back to me. Yeah. Yeah. This would, this handler would, it would take some work for him to be excited enough for the dog to want to come back to him, but he could do it. <laughs> it work on him too. Put a yeah. leash on him, give him a little pressure. It'd be fun. Yeah. yeah. So the focused heel, uh, for folks that don't know what that really is, is that if you've watched any videos of dogs doing healing and the dog is very energized and his gaze is up toward the handler's eyes and face. And that is what is referred to as a focused heel. Now, it is pretty much expected in a lot of dog sports. So it doesn't always gain favor in the police arena because there's this, I believe it's a misnomer, that that dog, even though he's focused like that, is not situationally aware of his environment. I beg to differ. I think they can actually do both. But I think there's there's also room for both. There is. So there are times that I expect a focused heel, and honestly, it's more of a parade. It's more of a parade heel. Um, we teach it, but we don't always expect it. Well, you know, it, there, there comes a point in time, even in cl- clearing a building, that you want the dog to move from point A to point B. I don't always want my dog out in front of me searching for the unknown because I don't want to send my dog to his death mm-hmm. for no tactical advantage. Right. You know, if... I don't know these people are armed. In today's world, you have to assume that the people are armed. It's like me saying, hey, Howard, you go first. I'll be over here by the door. You know, well, that's just kind of silly. So, you know, if you're when you're clearing, uh, there's times that I want my dog at the heel. And mm-hmm. that, I don't want my dog bumping me. You know, for me, when I when I create a focused heel for my dogs that I'm, I'm shooting with, I want my dog. I, I try to set a standard. My dog is six to ten inches away from my leg, preferably mm-hmm. around six his head and shoulders are at my inseam of my pants, not, not ahead of me. I don't want a quarter of a dog ahead of me. His head and shoulders are at my inseam of my pants, and we're moving from point A to point B with a purpose. And he's, mm-hmm. and he's focused on me because I need him to pay attention to me because I may need him when I find something. Right. Right. I need him to listen when I need him to go search. I want him to go search. When I want him to down, I want him to down because I don't want his pumpkin in the, in the fatal funnel just like I don't want my pumpkin in the fatal funnel. Mm-hmm. I need him back while we're looking and clearing. Then I may move him up to the next door. I may send him to that door. I see something I want him to clear. You know, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's a give and take. And if your dog doesn't have good obedience and, and you don't have a good relationship with your dog, then they're not going to do those things in the moment, especially when your heart rate is up. Because when you get excited, when my heart rate's up and I'm really doing this for real, or I know there's a danger there, my dog can act different because I'm providing energy in the moment. So now my dog that has energy, I'm providing a weird energy, which wears my dog out or makes them more excited and they don't want to listen and not have all these problems and I can't be effective or efficient in what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a huge mistake people make all the time. They don't do these things under duress with simunitions or, you know, you don't have to shoot at the dog, but there should be a consequence for you acting stupid, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And if a dog doesn't understand it, then it, when it's go time, they're not going to perform. And then you're, everybody's upset at the dog, but it's not the dog's fault because we didn't do the reps correctly. Mm-hmm. Well, there's certainly no substitute for putting in, though. Just because you get him to do it one time doesn't mean you're. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because <laughs> you might have just gotten lucky. 
I, well, you know, okay. you do it, do it a thousand times. Your dog's still going to fail. Sure. You know, it's a dog. It's, it's, a, you know, you're, we're the police first and foremost, you know, you're where, where you send your dog to go clear. You physically need to still clear that mm-hmm. you can't count on that dog. 100%. You still have to clear those areas. Hey folks, we're proud to have hold the line canine conference as a supporter and sponsor of the working dog depot podcast. Joe Lukowski and staff are already securing vendors and presenters for the seminar in April. That's April 9th, 10th, and 11th in a brand new location. That's right, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We are especially excited about that. It's going to cut our travel time in half, and there's nothing like being in the Carolinas in early April. That's Hold the Line Canine Conference. We're very much looking forward to being there and hope to see you all there. Thank you. The manner in which we teach a dog to do these different tasks, I think, I don't know that people understand that typically what happens is that you teach specific skills first, and then you start putting them together. So, or you can try to do them all at the same time. It's it, it's not it's not necessarily advisable, but I know that uh, in my early instruction, we taught us sit as a, as a result of coming to the end of a the stop in a heel. Mm-hmm. So we would start with healing. The auto sit. And then when you came to a stop, you taught the dog to sit, taught an automatic sit, which, you know, that's the expectation now is if you're healing with your dog, you come to whether it's a police dog or whether it's your pet, you're walking on the sidewalk uptown and you come to the crosswalk and you stop, the dog should automatically sit because we've conditioned them to do that. Sure. So you you can do that and you can get the dog to stand. Right. It's, it's what you decide you want the dog to do in those moments and, and making sure that it's consistent over time that will get you the reward you're looking for. Yeah. That's the outcome. And, and what you're talking about is a, you know, a term called successive approximation. Right. Or, or baby stepping, linking these simple tasks together to make a complex task. So this week I visited with my buddy who I trained a service dog for, the one and only service dog, mobility service dog that I ever trained. And uh, we got together and we've been getting together some. We had not been as diligent during COVID, but now that all that's clear, he lives right here in town. And uh, I've been absolutely amazed. I honestly expected him, and I don't know why, not him. You know, he's a, he's a former ranger. He's a former educator. He's very disciplined. So all those skills that he was taught, he has maintained. I expected him to to have slipped somewhere. I mean, that's human nature. Sure. So when I was over there, I was just, I've, I've just been blown away. You know, he put the dog on a place uh, while we were there, and the lawn crews out there doing their stuff, coming in, weed eating, and a FedEx truck pulls up, and that dog doesn't move. Now, I won't, I will say he was aware that there was a, FedEx guy there, but he, he didn't move. Well, you're, you're talking about balance once again. So I, I, it's yeah. something I don't want my dog to take in the world. They right. should know what's going on, but they have to be controlled in those moments if we've asked for that. Yeah. He braces very strongly. He demonstrated to me how if he were on the ground, gives the dog the brace command, and he can put his hands on his shoulders and hoist himself up, and the dog nice. does not move a, an inch. That's awesome. Just really impressive. It's uh, it was a very rewarding experience, and really great to see somebody that has 
and he'll do something. He said, just like you showed me, just like you taught me. <laughs> That's good. That's it's yeah. great to see that good follow up. And, and, you know, and of course his, his quality of life with that dog has gotten better. Oh, for sure. Cause he's out and about, you know, you're, you're doing things with your dog. He's got a little more secure about things that can happen. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we, we trained one for a, a guy that had a bunch of heart attacks once and, you know, just being able to get that dog to help him upstairs. Right. You know, when he would have to take a pause and then the dog would help him get up those stairs, you know, just improving the quality of life for someone that's, you know, that had these, uh, these limits imposed upon them that, you know, that it wasn't their fault that happened to some kind of physicality that's occurred and to be able to get them back out doing the things that they were doing is a, a very rewarding experience. So re- nice, nice job. That's awesome. Glad to hear he's doing really well. Yeah, I've been very impressed. So let's talk a little bit about when when a command has been issued. And I think this is where a lot of people drop the ball. If you give a dog a down command, the expectation is that the dog holds that down until they've been released with with some formal release, whether that be free or whatever words you use. The one thing that we kind of learned the hard way is that it should be a word that, that is not readily used in our English language. <laughs> yes. Yeah. For years, we used the word okay. Well, let me yeah. tell you, you say okay a lot. A lot. That's right. <laughs> I think that's where a lot of folks kind of lose. They kind of drop the ball is that, you know, they give the dog a down and we're having a conversation. The dog's maintaining the down. Next thing you know, they're walking away. Yep. And they've not released the dog. So we've given this dog this mixed message that uh, it's okay to just get up and go. Just because you got up and went. I think, you know, just just going back and, and looking at that, you got to make sure the dog understands how to hold behavior for long periods of time. Right. So, you know, for us, a, a benchmark is, is five minutes in a sit stay, five minutes in a down stay. Mm-hmm. So the dog can do those things. Then we start creating distance or getting ready to leave the room. Uh, you know, we'll step. Uh, I'll use a, a, a 90 wall, you know, it makes a 90. I'll put mm-hmm. it in a sit stay and I'll be in front of the dog and then I'll step Away out to the away from the dog on the other side of the wall where he can't see me. Then I step back and then I begin building time like that again uh-huh. to get him. So I, you know when when people come and we're talking about, I say place and I say oh, I'll be right back and I walk out the training room door and I walk down the hallway and I come back around. You know it's I don't know it's a forty five second walk maybe it tops and I walk back in and my dog's still there and they're like amazed that this happened. Uh-huh. Well, it didn't start with that. It still started with sit. <laughs> And free mm-hmm. two seconds and five seconds. And you just, we talked about that successful approximation. What's the time you want your dog to hold? And you have to build to that time. Right. You can't go, I want my dog to hold this for 45 minutes today, you know, with my. Well, and I think the, the tendency too is to want to create distance before that dog is really ready. Right. Because if you're, if you keep, if you get yourself in a situation where you're so far away, that you can't redirect that dog or put that dog back in that position in a timely manner, you just you're just really complicating things. Yeah. So so for us, it's the three D's of dog training. Duration first. So we mm-hmm. do everything close when we're teaching obedience. Mm-hmm. Sit right by my side, hold for two seconds, free, five seconds, free, ten seconds, free. And I build that with my dog. Mm-hmm. Once my dog can hold that behavior, then I teach them that I can move. One step out and back. So my movement in and out means nothing. And mm-hmm. then I release my dog. And then I go further down the leash each time. So mm-hmm. we, we do what's called the clock face method. If, mm-hmm. you think of your dog, if you think of your dog as a, a clock face, the head is 12, the tail is six, 
and you got nine and three on each side, right? Mm-hmm. So if I can teach my dog that I can go from 12 o'clock and work my way to the end of the leash, then I come back and I try to work around my dog, both clockwise and counterclockwise, teaching my dog that my movement to the right, my movement to the left, my movement to the rear doesn't mean anything. Right. Sit is sit, down is down, place is place. You chill out. And then once my dog can do that, then we start timing, you know, a minute, two minutes, three minutes. And, mm-hmm. and basically we go with 15 second increments. Okay. Get dog, like, like place before they, uh, uh, in our, our dog training academy at Double H Canine, before a dog graduates anything that they come in, whether it's our day training program or our boarding training program, that dog will hold three hours on place during the day, 50 dogs in the place before they graduate. Man. So we can, if we can get that, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive actually to watch it. You know, you walk in, there's 50 dogs in three different rooms, or I would say that's probably an exaggeration, more like 30 dogs in three different rooms, and they're all holding place. Mm-hmm. The trainer will get their dog off and work a session, put the dog back on place, work the next dog, work the next dog, and we have a doorbell that we rang periodically through the day to teach a dog that the bell doesn't mean anything. You don't have to break place and run to the door. Let me ask you this. What criteria is set with with a specific dog before you feel like it's reasonable to be in that room with those other dogs to pull that off. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's a progression every day, right? So first we have to teach a dog place, how to hold place. And then when he's not working, then we put them away, you know, so they can process what just happened in that training session. They have to be removed from the stimulus of all the other dogs uh, from what just happened. So when you get the dog out the next time you can build on what you just did. So if I'm looking for the first day we're doing loose leash walking, not a heave and a heel, just loose leash walking, starting to go to place, just getting the dog to stand on it, no big deal, just relaxing, trying to mm-hmm. hold that loose leash behavior. And I would say when the dog can be uh, out with a couple of dogs on place and we mm-hmm. get to that five minute benchmark again, that's when we know we got them. Cause then the dog over time will be on place, we use place like the free position. On place, we teach the dog can do whatever he wants to do. He can sit on it, stand on it, lay on it, jump up and down on it, take a nap on it, chew on a bone on it. It's not a prison sentence. It's just a place to go to have impulse control. Right. And so once we get that five minutes there, then then we got them because the dogs will start laying down, giving us their own behavior because we don't tell them to sit. They'll they'll start offering behaviors. And when they start Uh offering behaviors, it means they're getting comfortable. So then we can ask for extended periods of time. And there are some dogs, you know, just full disclosure, there's some dogs with behavior issues that we have screws that we've uh, drilled in the, ho- uh, in the concrete right. post. As a back and, time. And we leash them on there as well. Because yeah. some dogs, you know, you can't trust them all the time. Right. Uh, but we typically we get at least three hours on place before they graduate. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool to watch. It really is cool to see. Yeah. So I'm going to ask this. This is a crazy question. If sit means sit and down means down, why do we ever have to teach a stay command? I don't, <laughs> <laughs> but we, but I do. It makes and us feel good. I guess, you know, it's, it's one more command. I, yeah. I, I laugh, you know, for the simple reason I had a, a really nice lady coming into the uh, Academy several years ago and we met for the consultation and by, by me meeting her outside, opening the door, going into the training area. I mean, she gave her dog at least 10 commands. Oh, wow. Yeah. Of which he followed none. <laughs> right so because yeah, she just constantly kept talking the dog didn't have any idea what she was saying but it was making her feel better because she was talking through you know you talk about how one of your trainers or one of your handlers processes information by asking questions 
talking themselves through it. And that's what she was doing. Mm-hmm. But the dog had no idea what was going on whatsoever. Right. So I, I believe that, you know, over time we teach our dogs that if I tell you to sit, that I don't have to say stay, that it's there till I release you. And we just build it from three seconds, five seconds. It's really that simple. 20 seconds, a minute, one minute, 15, 30, 45, two, and we just keep adding time. So when when that dog holds that for, let's say, just arbitrary amount, three minutes, are they rewarded with a treat? Uh, yeah, but we fade away the treats. Yeah. You know, basically what we do is we try to hold withhold the treat until we release with the expectation when you're released, that's the party. Mm-hmm. They still get rewarded, whether, you know, some dogs work for, for physical praise. Right. You know, pets, loves, good job. Some dogs work for that energy. Come on, buddy, let's go. And they run over to you, and it's a little party, right? Some dogs do treats, some dogs do toys, all the above. But typically, you know, there's going to be some sort of treat involved, yes. Yeah, it's funny. I, I guess that when I think of my situation as compared to training pets, and I hear this from you as well as other friends, is that, you know, I, I, I kind of look at it like I get to work with professional athletes of the dog world that uh, are typically food-motivated and yeah. toy-motivated, and that I'm not having to deal with dogs that are kind of indifferent to all of the above. So, yeah, I, I get it. Interesting. Well, you know, the the best thing that walking into from, you know, coming from the that police and military side of it and then walking into the pet dog land, you know, especially with dogs that have anxiety issues or some sort of fear, we set up little bitty obstacle courses, you know, jumping up on a, a, a climb stand or two climb stands, walking across a couple of them. Just building their confidence, that brings so much value to the table. People, I think it's really often missed just making mm-hmm. some sort of little obstacle. Nothing extravagant, nothing hard to do, just little obstacles they negotiate because every time they do something and they're successful because you've asked them to jump up here. And, you know, and some of these dogs that come in think a dog bed is a dog bed of death. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're, they're clawing and scratching, going backwards. There's no treat. There's no nothing you can toss up there to get them to go up there. They just think they're going to die. Right. You know, but once they go up there and get rewarded, whether that's that pet or that that pressure's gone, you know, not not just leash pressure, but that it, that the, the internal pressure they feel of, oh my gosh, to see the light bulb click on, and, and, and four or five reps later, they're running the place to, to get your affection because right. they're like, I didn't die after all. I mean, you know, we don't know what they're thinking, but that's what it looks like to me. It's like I didn't die, so I, I'm going to trust you. And the more of that stuff you do with these dogs that have this anxiety or these fear-based problems, you, you, you see such a turnaround so quickly. Right. Well, I want to bring up another subject. It's quite possible that this episode will come out before the 4th of July. I know that for us, July 3rd will be a big firework display that essentially is almost in my front yard. Yeah. And... Uh, we have our particular dog is not afraid per se of fireworks. He's he aggresses toward it. I mean, to me, it's kind of bizarre. He will run toward the sound and bark at it. And so it probably has a basis in fear in some respect. So the way and the way I manage it, it's not with a thunder shirt, although I'm not going to knock that knock that. I believe that if that works for your dog, man, use it. But for us is that what works best is, and this is crazy, is what I've done the last two years. I'll bring him in the house, and we'll turn the stereo up a little bit loud. 
where we're not here. And of course, he could feel the percussion. It's that close. Sure. And we will just do different activities. I'll send them to place. I'll send them to the crate. I'll send them and we'll do it with treats and with enthusiasm. And really the way I look at it is that all you have to do is keep them occupied for 20 minutes. Otherwise, if he was out in the kennel, he would just be barking his head off. He He would be a, he could potentially, if it was hot enough, he could overly exert himself. So I, I want to avoid that if I can. I don't, I guess I'd, I've never tried to mitigate it beyond just occupying him. Well, that, well, what you're doing is you're just teaching the dog to do something in those moments, right? Mm-hmm. The big problem is, and this and this will go, this is from looking at like almost 9,000 dogs now. Mm-hmm. So if you can teach your dog to do something different in those moments, you will get a different outcome. Right. So, you know, putting your, I, I take, like, I'll have my, I have my brand new puppy. Mm-hmm. He's going to be inside because my neighbors across the street, it's a big one. Yeah. And big and loud. And, and, you know, so he'll come in just like what you're saying. We'll use loud, we'll use something to try to drown out the noise, whether it's music or the TV. And I'll have him on a leash because I'm not going to let him run and hide. I'm mm-hmm. not going to get away from me. I'm going to teach him that, hey, hanging out with me, nothing happens. As a matter of fact, when you're just hanging out with me, something good might happen. Yeah. And that's exactly, and that's, if you, if, if you're listening to the podcast tonight, you don't take anything away from this and you have your own dog. If you see a behavior, you don't design your dog, never talk, touch or treat him in the moment, control the moment, get his focus on you, teach him to do something after that, whether it's look at you, give you a high five, go to place, jump through the fiery hula hoop, whatever it is, you know, the simpler task you ask, the easier it's going to be to repeat over and over again. And you will teach your dog to do something different in those moments. And then pretty soon it's like the, you know, the uh, same, like the doorbell rings, dogs run to doors and jump on people or bark at them when they come in. The dog to go to place on the doorbell and the doorbell rings, he goes over there and starts to calm down and doesn't jump or growl or nip at your, you know, guests that are coming into your home. That's Mm -hmm. redirecting that behavior the correct way versus taking a piece of chicken and trying to lure them off first because the mind is still where? The mind is still on the problem. You have to stop and control the behavior, get them to engage with you, then pay the dog for that. And the treat is on you versus the issue. And you're truly teaching your dog to do something different in those moments from there. Free pro tip, no extra charge. <laughs> I think you've given several good pro tips tonight. Very good. Well, is there anything else that you want to talk about in, in terms of obedience? You know, mm-hmm. obedience kind of covers all all facets of police work. You know, the biggest thing that we that I see is people just get in a hurry with obedience or they've run, they're, they're putting their dog in a scenario the dog's not ready for. They're too close to distractions. I think that, I don't know if we talked about it earlier, I don't remember, the three Ds of dog training. Mm-hmm. Duration first, teaching the dog what to do. Distance second, how far can I get away from my dog? How far can I be away from my dog to ask for behavior? And then lastly, distractions. So distance, duration, distractions. So my dog can hold behavior, do the behavior, hold it, do the behavior with me at distance, then I can start working on distractions. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the recipe we use for that. And distractions for us is just the opposite of how we teach obedience. So obedience, we start close and move away. Distractions, we work at distance and move closer to the distraction. Because right. I have to find a place where I can control my dog with that distraction going on before I can teach my dog 
what to do in those moments. Right. Yep. For sure. Very good. Well, I think this uh, episode is going to give folks some, at least some things to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Some notes. And uh, I'm glad we did it. Always, I always love getting together with you, Howard, and talking dogs. Never, never upset about that night. No. It's good so ho- ho- hopefully someone in a far off land is happy we don't discuss the weather anymore. <laughs> I know one guy that was making fun of it, but you know what? That's all right. Hey, just to let him know, it's raining here today in Kentucky, my friend. Really? Yeah. It's hot and humid here today. But I think we've got thunderstorms in the forecast for like the next seven days. Nice. Crazy. All right. Well, hey, Howard, that was a great conversation. Enjoyed it immensely. Hope it uh, brought some value to some folks that are asking for one of these how-to podcasts. And uh, our plans are to do one like every uh, every 10th episode, the how-to. And if you're listening, which we really appreciate you listening to a couple of guys. If you would like to write in some questions along the way, maybe we can answer some of those too. Because I have, we didn't address tonight, and I won't address it now, but I had a couple of questions about dog kennels, like mm. crates, uh, recommendations and things. And so I have some some input on that. Maybe the next time we can talk about that. Yeah, very good. I think we should. These episodes have been very popular, which is quite flattering. You know, I think sometimes I've learned, what I've learned is that I'm a horrible predictor of what I think is going to be a big success. Sure. I just need to keep my mouth shut and plug along with my buddy here. So tonight we are sampling Stag Jr. Oh, yeah. That's that's a nice bourbon, my friend. So I've always been under the, under the impression that Stag Jr. is a Buffalo Trace product, which I believe it is. It is. It is very high. Uh, it's got a lot of heat, and each batch varies, but typically it runs about 131, 132 yep. proof. And to be quite honest, it is my favorite. So thus far, and this is, uh, I've got two bottles, and I, I cracked one for this this episode. They're making their their rounds through North Carolina over the last couple of weeks. We've oh, nice. not been able to get it. So I'm on a, several pages of bourbon pages in North Carolina, and all I'm seeing is Stag Jr. Just picture after picture of Stag Jr. And I was fortunate enough to score one of these, and I already had one. So I'm going to savor it. It's quite tasty, even though, you know, I'm, I'm for those that you can't see, Howard, he has ice in his. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm one of those guys. The only time I drink a knee is when I'm with you. <laughs> I just I just enjoy it that way. And you know, they uh there was a the distiller, the master distiller here in Kentucky, Booker No, said you drink your bourbon the way you enjoy it and don't let anyone else tell you how to drink it. Well that's I, the way you drink your bourbon, folks. I so. appreciate that. I don't that's care to be judged. That's right. You drink it the way you enjoy it. That's how bourbon bourbon is meant to be enjoyed with your friends, and uh that's how it should be drank. Well, hey, the, the second thing we want to talk about tonight is uh, our, our pro series. We've done a, a few of these pro series of uh, some bite work seminars and some uh, detection seminars. And we just want to put it out there. If you guys are looking for some info uh, on some bite work, how to, how to mark some of these behaviors or detection, Howard and I would be really happy to come out and try to help you any way we can. If you want to contact Howard uh, and, and get one of those things set up, I think it would be awesome. Love to do them. Uh, we do them in a couple of days. I think the longest one we've done is a week-long detection thing. 
Uh, I don't think that's necessary, but two or three days is, is a good time to get together to, to learn some new things or to revisit some stuff or to problem solve. And uh, we're open to all the above. Very good. I, I, you know, we both really enjoy doing those and we've gotten really good feedback from the ones we've done. So that is how I like to envision my retirement aside from my local gig of providing services to a couple agencies here is to get out there and kind of spread information and share the things we've learned. Not that we know it all, but uh, quite often, you know, we've had moments where folks have had quite big epiphanies when we've been to some of these places. So that's always gratifying on our end. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, and I tell all the, all my young dog trainers or even people that come and talk to us about dog training that, you know, the, the only benefit that, you know, someone like you or I have is the, the number of dogs that we've been able to see. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, when you get up to those, you know, 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 dogs and learning to read dog behavior and knowing what works in those moments because you have that picture that you painted for yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've seen this before. You know, right. 25 years ago, you know, I put my hat back on top of my head and was like, wow, I don't know. What am I going to do with this one? Right. Right. And now you're, you're fixing things in the moment, which is better for the dog, better for you, way less frustrating. But it's just the benefit of seeing thousands and thousands of dogs. And, and that's really where, you know, just time spent in your craft pays off. Very good. Hit us up. All right, my friend, as always, here's the hair of the dog that bit you. Yes. Mr. Stag Jr. Thanks so much, you guys, for following along, supporting us, and listening to these wonderful conversations that Howard and I are just blessed to have each and every day. We'd like to thank and support all of our first responders, police, fire, EMS, and our military for once again holding the line, keeping us safe. Stay safe, brothers and sisters. We love you. God bless, and God bless America.